Section 44 of Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1, The Journals of Robert Falcon Scott, Arranged by Leonard Huxley. Third Part of Chapter 20, The Last March. With the diaries in the tent were found the following letters. To Mrs. E. A. Wilson. My dear Mrs. Wilson, if this letter reaches you, Bill and I will have gone out together. We are very near it now, and I should like you to know how splendid he was at the end, everlastingly cheerful, and ready to sacrifice himself for others, never a word of blame to me for leading him into this mess. He is not suffering, luckily, at least only minor discomforts. His eyes have a comfortable blue look of hope, and his mind is peaceful with the satisfaction of his faith in regarding himself as part of the great scheme of the Almighty. I can do no more to comfort you than to tell you that he died as he lived, a brave, true man, the best of comrades and staunchest of friends. My whole heart goes out to you in pity. Yours, R. Scott. To Mrs. Bowers. My dear Mrs. Bowers, I am afraid this will reach you after one of the heaviest blows of your life. I write when we are very near the end of our journey, and I am finishing it in company with two gallant, noble gentlemen. One of these is your son. He had come to be one of my closest and soundest friends, and I appreciate his wonderful upright nature, his ability and energy. As the troubles have thickened, his dauntless spirit ever shone brighter, and he has remained cheerful, hopeful, and indomitable to the end. The ways of providence are inscrutable, but there must be some reason why such a young, vigorous, and promising life is taken. My whole heart goes out in pity for you. Yours, R. Scott. To the end he has talked of you and his sisters. One sees what a happy home he must have had, and perhaps it is well to look back on nothing but happiness. He remains unselfish, self-reliant, and splendidly hopeful to the end, believing in God's mercy to you. To Sir J. M. Barry, My dear Barry, We are pegging out in a very comfortless spot. Hoping this letter may be found and sent to you, I write a word of farewell. More practically, I want you to help my widow and my boy, your godson. We are showing that Englishmen can still die with a bold spirit, fighting it out to the end. It will be known that we have accomplished our object in reaching the Pole, and that we have done everything possible, even to sacrificing ourselves in order to save sick companions. I think this makes an example for Englishmen in the future, and that the country ought to help those who are left behind to mourn us. I leave my poor girl and your godson, Wilson leaves a widow, and Edgar Evans also a widow in humble circumstances. Do what you can to get their claims recognized. Goodbye. I am not at all afraid of the end, but sad to miss many a humble pleasure which I had planned for the future on our long marches. I may not have proved a great explorer, but I have done the greatest march ever made, and come very near to great success. Goodbye, my dear friend. Yours ever, R. Scott. We are in a desperate state, feet frozen, etc., no fuel and a long way from food, but it would do your heart good to be in our tent, to hear our songs and the cheery conversation as to what we will do when we get to Hut Point. Later. We are very near the end, 
but have not and will not lose our good cheer. We have four days of storm in our tent, and nowhere's food or fuel. We did intend to finish ourselves when things proved like this, but we have decided to die naturally in the track. As a dying man, my dear friend, be good to my wife and child. Give the boy a chance in life if the state won't do it. He ought to have good stuff in him. I never met a man in my life whom I admired and loved more than you, but I never could show you how much your friendship meant to me, for you had much to give and I nothing. To the Right Honorable Sir Edgar Speyer, Baronet Dated March 16, 1912, Latitude 79.5 degrees My dear Sir Edgar, I hope this may reach you. I fear we must go and that it leaves the expedition in a bad muddle. But we have been to the pole and we shall die like gentlemen. I regret only for the women we leave behind. I thank you a thousand times for your help and support and your generous kindness. If this diary is found, it will show how we stuck by dying companions and fought the thing out well to the end. I think this will show that the spirit of pluck and power to endure has not passed out of our race. Wilson, the best fellow that ever stepped, has sacrificed himself again and again to the sick men of the party. I write to many friends hoping the letters will reach them some time after we are found next year. We very nearly came through, and it's a pity to have missed it, but lately I have felt that we have overshot our mark. No one is to blame, and I hope no attempt will be made to suggest that we have lacked support. Goodbye to you and your dear kind wife. Yours ever sincerely, R. Scott. To Vice Admiral Sir Francis Charles Bridgman, KCVO, KCB. My dear Sir Francis, I fear we have shipped up, a close shave. I am writing a few letters which I hope will be delivered some day. I want to thank you for the friendship you gave me of late years, and to tell you how extraordinarily pleasant I found it to serve under you. I want to tell you that I was not too old for this job. It was the younger men that went under first. After all, we were setting a good example to our countrymen, if not by getting into a tight place, by facing it like men when we were there. We could have come through had we neglected the sick. Goodbye, and goodbye to dear Lady Bridgman. Yours ever, R. Scott. Excuse writing, it is minus forty degrees, and has been for nigh a month. To Vice Admiral Sir George Leclerc Edgerton, K.C.B. My dear Sir George, I fear we have shot our bolt, but we have been to Pole and done the longest journey on record. I hope these letters may find their destination some day. Subsidiary reasons for our failure to return are due to the sickness of different members of the party, but the real thing that has stopped us is the awful weather and unexpected cold towards the end of the journey. This traverse of the barrier has been quite three times as severe as any experience we had on the summit. There is no accounting for it, but the result has thrown out my calculations, and here we are little more than a hundred miles from the base and petering out. Goodbye. Please see my widow is looked after as far as Admiralty is concerned. R. Scott. My kindest regards to Lady Edgerton. I can never forget all your kindness. To Mr. J. J. Kinsey, Christchurch. March 24, 1912. My dear Kinsey, I'm afraid we are pretty well done. 
four days of blizzard just as we were getting to the last depot. My thoughts have been with you often. You have been a brick. You will pull the expedition through, I'm sure. My thoughts are for my wife and boy. Will you do what you can for them if the country won't? I want the boy to have a good chance in the world, but you know the circumstances well enough. If I knew the wife and boy were in safe keeping, I should have little regret in leaving the world, for I feel that the country need not be ashamed of us. Our journey has been the biggest on record, and nothing but the most exceptional hard luck at the end would have caused us to fail to return. I have been to the South Pole as we set out. God bless you and dear Mrs. Kinsey. It is good to remember you and your kindness. Your friend, R. Scott. Letters to his mother, his wife, his brother-in-law, Sir William Ellison McCartney, Admiral Sir Louis Beaumont, and Mr. and Mrs. Reginald Smith were also found, from which came the following extracts. The great God has called me, and I feel it will add a fearful blow to the heavy ones that have fallen on you in life. But take comfort in that I die at peace with the world and myself, not afraid. Indeed, it has been most singularly unfortunate, for the risks I have taken never seemed excessive. I want to tell you that we have missed getting through by a narrow margin, which was justifiably within the risk of such a journey. After all, we have given our lives for our country, we have actually made the longest journey on record, and we have been the first Englishmen at the South Pole. You must understand that it is too cold to write much. It's a pity the luck didn't come our way, because every detail of equipment is right. I shall not have suffered any pain, but leave the world fresh from harness and full of good health and vigor. Since writing the above, we got to within eleven miles of our depot, with one hot meal and two days' cold food. We should have got through, but have been held for four days by a frightful storm. I think the best chance has gone. We have decided not to kill ourselves, but to fight to the last for that depot, but in the fighting there is a painless end. Make the boy interested in natural history if you can. It is better than games. They encourage it at some schools. I know you will keep him in the open air. Above all, he must guard and you must guard him against indolence. Make him a strenuous man. I had to force myself into being strenuous, as you know, had always an inclination to be idle. There is a piece of the Union Jack I put up at the South Pole in my private kit bag, together with Amundsen's black flag and other trifles. Send a small piece of the Union Jack to the King and a small piece to Queen Alexandra. What lots and lots I could tell you of this journey. How much better it has been than lounging in too great comfort at home. What tales you would have for the boys, but what a price to pay. Tell Sir Clements, I thought much of him and never regretted him putting me in command of the discovery. Message to the Public The causes of the disaster were not due to faulty organization, but to misfortune in all risks which had to be undertaken. 1. The loss of pony transport in March 1911 obliged me to start later than I had intended, and obliged the limits of stuff transported to be narrowed. 2. The weather throughout the outward journey, and especially the long gale in 83 degrees south, stopped us. 3. The soft snow in lower reaches of glacier again reduced pace. 
We fought these untoward events with a will and conquered, but it cut into our provision reserve. Every detail of our food supplies, clothing and depots made on the interior ice sheet and over that long stretch of 700 miles to the pole and back worked out to perfection. The advance party would have returned to the glacier in fine form and with surplus of food, but for the astonishing failure of the man whom we had least expected to fail. Edgar Evans was thought the strongest man of the party. The Beardmore Glacier is not difficult in fine weather, but on our return we did not get a single completely fine day. This, with a sick companion, enormously increased our anxieties. As I have said elsewhere, we got into frightfully rough ice and Edgar Evans received a concussion of the brain. He died a natural death, but left us a shaken party with the season unduly advanced. But all the facts above enumerated were as nothing to the surprise which awaited us on the barrier. I maintain that our arrangements for returning were quite adequate, and that no one in the world would have expected the temperatures and surfaces which we encountered at this time of year. On the summit, in latitude 85 degrees, 86 degrees, we had minus 20 degrees, minus 30 degrees. On the barrier, in latitude 82 degrees, 10,000 feet lower, we had minus 30 degrees in the day, minus 47 degrees at night pretty regularly, with continuous headwind during our day marches. It is clear that these circumstances came on very suddenly, and our wreck is certainly due to the sudden advent of severe weather, which does not seem to have any satisfactory cause. I do not think human beings ever came through such a month as we have come through, and should have got through in spite of the weather but for the sickening of a second companion, Captain Oates, and a shortage of fuel in our depots, for which I cannot account, and finally, but for the storm which has fallen on us within eleven miles of the depot, at which we hoped to secure our final supplies. Surely misfortune could scarcely have exceeded this last blow. We arrived within eleven miles of our old one-ton camp, with fuel for one last meal and food for two days. For four days we have been unable to leave the tent, the gale howling about us. We are weak, writing is difficult, but for my own sake I do not regret this journey, which has shown that Englishmen can endure hardships, help one another, and meet death with as great a fortitude as ever in the past. We took risks, we knew we took them. Things have come out against us, and therefore we have no cause for complaint, but bow to the will of Providence, determined still to do our best to the last. But if we have been willing to give our lives to this enterprise, which is for the honor of our country, I appeal to our countrymen to see that those who depend on us are properly cared for. Had we lived, I should have had a tale to tell of the hardihood, endurance, and courage of my companions, which would have stirred the heart of every Englishman. These rough notes and our dead bodies must tell the tale, but surely, surely a great rich country like ours will see that those who are dependent on us are properly provided for. R. Scott End of Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1, The Journals of Robert Falcon Scott, Arranged by Leonard Huxley